everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. Today I talk to Kim Leonid. Uh, she is a uh, twice-published children's author, uh, amongst other things. And uh, the thing that you should know about her, which is most impressive, is that she's a fan of this podcast. I kid. She She's a wonderful woman. Uh, fun to talk to, uh, hope you enjoyed the episode, this will be a short intro, because it's a somewhat long episode, I think, comparatively, I don't know, um, hey, remember to, uh, like the, uh, Facebook, if you're on Facebook, it's, you know, Jeff Macalino Podcast, it's the name of the, the sh- podcast you're listening to just type that into facebook and like it it'll also be in the show notes you can follow me on twitter at saint j mac that's also in the show notes uh also instagram same uh handle saint j mac uh just kind of getting that started i don't know how to use instagram i realize i need to have a 12 year old teach me how to do that at some point i think and uh what else uh, hey, if you listen on Apple Podcasts or you just have an iPhone, go into Podcasts, go to my show page that's back up, by the way. Someone asked me how to do this, and thank you, Nicole, for the review this week. Uh, but scroll all the way down to the bottom, and there'll be stars there. And you click the one furthest to the right. That's, that's five stars. And if you feel real generous, type you know, a nice review, just be like, Jeff is awesome, and, uh, he should rule the world, no, I don't want to rule the world, come up with something on your own, I'm not good with stuff like this, anyways, uh, Kim and I talk about a lot of different things, uh, she's got a great sense of, uh, podcasting, or, uh, she, she's, seems to have a great sense of finding good comedy and good podcasts, uh, you know, which is obviously something I respect very much. So, hope you enjoy the episode. I'll see you at the end. Peace. Okay, and now I welcome Kim Lanid to the Jeff McAlino podcast. Kim, how are you today? I'm great, Jeff. Thanks. How are you? I am uh, doing pretty well. Uh, it's uh, it's sunny now. Florida, Florida is the sunshine state, but in the summer it gets really gloomy randomly for some e- either five minutes or five hours. And it, yeah, <laughs> I, I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to. I, I was gonna have to like find a, a bathroom someplace in the middle of the house, not near windows, to record this. But now I think uh, you can probably see the sun shining through the window now. So holy we're, crap! Yeah, yeah we're, I had to like put like my LED lights on and everything in order to get enough light. I like to keep it dark because we have no shade trees. So in the morning, the sun like bakes the front half of our house. And then exactly at noon, it moves to the other half, bakes the other half of the house. So 
We have room darkening blinds. We have LED lights. We have like film that goes on the windows so that we're not running the air like 24 hours a day. It's just not economical. I had, so where, this is actually where I work during the day too. And I'm right under an air vent and I had an electric bill come in that was like triple the normal bill. And I didn't realize my AC was not cooling down the house and was not blowing cold because it was still blowing. So between, there's a fan above me and this, I felt perfectly cool. And then my electric bill came in. I'm like, what the hell happened? Then I I just so happened to, the first thing you always do is think about the air conditioning. Uh, and uh-huh. I, I looked and I'm like, it it's 79 degrees in here and it's supposed to be 76 all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. Took me, it so, took me a month to figure that out, which is kind of sad. We had the same thing. We, when we moved in, in to our townhouse complex, which I don't know, we had, we had an air, an, um, central air unit. We have central air running through the house and, um, we didn't realize that it looked like the original unit, which this complex was built like 30 years ago. So it's a 30 year old freaking unit. And like two year for two summers, my nephew um, came and spent a week here and helped me with my dog boarding business because he loves animals. And both of those years on the hottest day while he was here, the air just broke (laughs) because the same thing. We had it, the thermostat, like on 74, 75, and it's pouring in air just like yours. And we're like, what the fuck? Why isn't it getting even a little bit cool? Why am I sweating? And then my husband was home and he took a look. So we realized it was the air. We have to call maintenance. It was like 89 or 90 degrees outside. And they consider that emergency it has to be you have to be like dying in order to get an emergency maintenance call so after that i asked my landlady i'm like look all of the neighbors have new units ours just broke down two years in a row can we have a new unit no you don't qualify so (laughs) this year we went over their heads and emailed the um, the company that like owns Spring Garden townhouses and sent them an email and told them everything. We weren't assholes or anything, but we just told them. The next day we got an email from the office manager saying, we would just like to offer <laughs> for you um, the opportunity to, to get a new unit. We'd like to know, you know, when you're available. And I'm just <laughs> like, yes, yes. So we finally got a new unit and the electric bill is much better. It makes me wonder. So la- uh, last March, 
I actually got a whole new unit last March, which is disconcerting that it was already out of refrigerant 14 months later, but that's another story. But I went, and it coincided with I was leaving one job. I put in my two weeks notice knowing that they would let me go that day, but I had two weeks before I had to start my new job. So I was at home for two weeks, uh, which was great, except for it coincided with my air conditioning completely died. It was getting up to like 88 degrees inside the house during the day. Uh, oh, no. It it wasn't even that hot outside. I don't know how mm-hmm. that works. It was getting <laughs> hotter than it was outside inside the house. I had 18 yep. fans around the house going. I thought I was going to kill myself. It was so miserable. No matter what uh-huh. I did, I was just constantly sweating. And it was it was almost the whole two weeks before I was able to get it replaced because everything was so busy in Florida that time of year. Yeah. So it was miserable. But it makes me wonder, how did people live, like, in the 1940s? or when? I don't know when yep. central air was created, but I can't imagine it was around in the 40s or 50s even. And they, like, I wear shorts and a T-shirt all the time. They, like, didn't they all wear uh-huh. suits and stuff back then constantly? And, like, women with, like, all those petticoats and yes. shit. And... You know, like long underwear, woolen stockings, you know, and men in like woolen pants. Oh, my God. I think like in Little House on the Prairie, but that was like the 1800s, but they had like ice houses. And I just remember watching episodes of like Charles like pouring out down sweat when he's like working on the fields and they just keep their ice house. Mm. Like, maybe back in the early 1900s, everyone had ice houses, you know? I guess, because I don't, I don't, uh, yeah, uh, Central Air was invented in the 1970s, and you, it looks like air conditioning units, like, little ones were like the 1950s. Okay. So, I, so I'm assuming everyone just was wet and stinky all the time. <laughs> like, you must have well, had no standards for what things smelled like back then, because... Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 like, yeah. Living, living in Florida in March, I mean, maybe the houses were designed with better wind flow. To, I don't... I guess you left your windows open all the time. Right? I don't... I, it I it baffles me. I could not have lived back then. I'm not. I'm not tough enough, I don't think. No, I, I, I have so many friends that freaking love the summer and they're like, oh, it's summer. It's going to be hot and sunny every day. I am what is known as a pluviophile and that's real and it's not pervy. It's (laughs) someone, (laughs) it's some, it's actually, I looked it up and it's, some, it's the opposite of seasonal affect. Like, people that have seasonal affect disorder, they get depressed and shit when there's no sun. My brother mm-hmm. has that. I am the opposite. I love gray, rainy days. And the reason for this is pluviophiles. We don't, we don't like sunny days because... If we don't want to go out and feel like the pressure, 
of having to go out and do something. Go outside. Oh, go outside. It's so nice outside. No, it's not. Not to a <laughs> pluviophile. I don't. I want to be inside because then I can be like, it's raining outside. I don't want to drive in the rain. It's cloudy outside. I don't need to go out and enjoy the sun because I don't enjoy the sun. It burns me. I'm Irish. If I'm out in the sun <laughs> for like two seconds, no matter what, I'm beat red. So can't do it. I, I didn't used to burn, but I, I got burned last weekend at the beach. I don't know. I don't know if aging makes you more susceptible to burning or something. <laughs> Maybe the small sliver of Irish I have is starting to emerge late in my <laughs> in my mid thirties. Oh my god, you're a baby in your mid thirties. I barely remember my thirties. I I probably won't remember much of them either. If that's it. <laughs> I'm off to a good start with that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I don't have that excuse. I just I just attribute it to potentially I don't know this for like a fact, but potentially early onset minor dementia. I kind of say I don't remember things and then say that as my excuse. I don't yeah. know. My ner my neurologist hasn't officially diagnosed it, but if I needed him to, I could get him to do it. He would do that for me. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's like when I used to tell people I was allergic to mushrooms. It's a convenient excuse not to get them on your plate. <laughs> I wasn't allergic. I, I stopped doing uh -huh. that because my son has a dairy allergy, like a legitimate uh -huh. dairy allergy. And uh -huh. I'm like, oh, now, now I realize people who fake it, uh, that they can ruin it for the other people. <laughs> yeah. I make I make sure to get uh, for my daughter and or myself as much dairy on our plates as possible if we're going out. <laughs> so it's like it's not it's not an anti dairy thing. He actually is allergic. I swear. Right. So you don't want to be a dick about it and say. Oh, my son has a dairy allergy, and I have a mushroom allergy. <laughs> yeah. And my mushroom allergy is just fake because I don't like the taste. <laughs> you don't. My, well, my husband just got home, so. No, and you have uh, you have two dogs now. Is that right? Right now, I have yeah, I have a Yorkie who you saw a little while ago, and mm -hmm. I have a Cavalier King Charles who's. And personality-wise, they're the total opposite. Breezy's all attention, attention, notice me, notice me, big mouth, big mouth. And Pax is the opposite. He's like, if I eat, I eat, just, just rub my belly. <laughs> I don't eat anything else except belly rubs. That In the morning, I go to get him up out of his crate, which he loves. And he comes out, and I, I massage him. I give him Reiki massage every morning, like a big one. He, normally, he, a dog, when they get up in the morning, the first thing they want to do is either go out and take a, a poop or a pee, and then have breakfast. But Pax just wants a rub. He just lies on the rug. I have to, like, wake him up. I so <laughs> I'll I'll tell you this is what I was going to mention before we started and I said I'll 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 wait. So I I had the bright idea in the 
very beginning of this podcast even that so you know I'm I'm trying to work on stand up comedy uh uh-huh. and stuff. So uh I thought, okay, what can I do to be controversial but not like obviously you can't do racist stuff or anything like that. Yeah. Um uh-huh. so I I thought here's a brilliant idea. I'm allergic to dogs, so I don't have a actual issue with dogs whatsoever, except for some of them make me extremely uncomfortable. <laughs> That's a real okay. allergy to dogs I have. <laughs> and okay, so I, I thought I thought I'll be anti dog. Like I'll make I'll be an anti dog comedian. And I'm like, uh-huh. I guarantee some a lot of people will hate it, but that that's yes. okay. You want controversy. Mm-hmm. The problem is everyone hated it. <laughs> not not a single no. person. Yeah, it's like not a single person. I'm like, okay, I don't. I, I I I I don't. They weren't even good jokes. It was just rambling on the podcast, and I had like six people be yeah. like, "How dare you?" I'm like, it wasn't even that bad. <laughs> no, but it, it. I I hate that. Like we we my husband and I we watch comedy all the time. We just that's like it's like what do you want to watch? I don't know. Let's just watch comedy. We have like our whole Netflix flex queue is comedy. Amazon Prime is comedy. YouTube, like all of our subscriptions, comedy. So we've heard like cat people, dog people, comedians that do crowd work. Where are my dog people at? Where are my cat people at? I'm like, if you're going to make a joke, it's a joke. It's a fucking joke. You know, if you're going to a comedy club, if you're going to listen to a comedian, it's not supposed to be serious. That I, I mean, I don't know the official definition of comedy, but I can't stand it when people bash comedians for doing what they do. And you guys make people like me who want my dream someday is to do a, a little bit of stand-up somewhere. I said before I was 50 I was going to do it, but I'm off by a couple of years. I still <laughs> want to do it, but I so many things that I were funny to me and that are funny to me, like you said, are seriously controversial. Not dogs and cats, but so many other things but even if they are controversial in the world in the comedy world i mean yeah there i i think there are parameters like little ones that i guess comedians have to be careful of so that they don't trigger people but i also don't feel that comedians need to be like pc to the you know, it's yeah, there's a there's a fine line. And the funny thing is, not only the line genera- generationally is always going to be moving, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, you I was thinking about I was talking to someone about comedy movies and they were saying, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Animal House couldn't be made today with a lot of the scenes in that movie were completely inappropriate <laughs> at the time. <laughs> it was it found the line and it wrote it, you know, and, and, you know, even words they used in movies 10 years ago now are completely off limits, but 
back okay. then, there was nothing wrong with it. I mean, it, maybe there was something wrong with it, but it was, you know, at the time it was, so, so t- time generation is one thing, but, um, yeah, yeah I, I like, I, I, and I forget what podcast I was listening to where they were talking, they were ranting about people, uh, it may have been Nate Bargatze's, uh, podcast and he's uh, a clean comic which i respect the yeah. hell out of him that he can be that funny and never cuss and never talk about sex uh oh my god yeah it takes skill which i i i'm i'm trying to get a clean act but mm-hmm. i'm not gonna be that clean <laughs> it's yeah. you know i'll i'll try i'm i'm trying not to gratuitously curse or anything like that but right but the one thing I notice in listening to my recordings actually is what I most often have cussed, I wasn't intending to. I was reacting to something in the crowd. That's the way I talk in real life. So that's how it's going to come out when I'm reacting. So that's why I could ne- I don't think I could ever market myself as a as a clean comic because I don't think I'll ever stop cussing in my day-to-day life. So right. it'll, it'll come out if I... Uh, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I've had to, I'm not a comedian, but the way I use humor as like to deflect certain things um, in certain groups. Like I have some friends that are Christian and I respect that. So I cautiously, I con- conscientiously is the word conscientiously do not curse around that and my sister-in-law when my nephews were younger i was very 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 careful my brother he'd go around the house fuck this fuck that you know blah 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 and melissa couldn't say anything to him because nobody can censor my brother well around my sister-in-law she's She's very devout Catholic, so I'm respectful around her. But I know that in a lot of ways, I can be myself. And there is a part of myself that is that Catholic girl that I was growing up, that that clean, clean cut, clean mouth Catholic girl. But if I'm like just at home and... Especially if I take in my medical marijuana at night. Oh my God, forget it. <laughs> well, Just forget it. it. It's funny, but that's where real life and comedy life, I think, kind of play together. Because you do have to know your audience, no matter what you're, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what you're doing. I And that's the same way. And if there's too much of this, it all goes out the window. But... You know, I'm 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 not trying to talk about my sexual escapades in front of my parents because I don't think yeah. they particularly care to hear it. And uh, it, you know, I know my mother is particular particularly uh, certain that she never wants me to mention any possible illegal drugs that I've ever done before in front of her friends if it's that kind of mm-hmm. situation. Um, so I, I, you know. I don't need to bring up that time I did cocaine and in front of you, you know it's like it, it, there's no purpose it could be a funny story but it's funny for people who 
have lived a, a, a experimental lifestyle, not for people who right. have never even smoked weed. <laughs> you know, exactly. So it's uh, yeah, no, knowing your uh, that's that's something that uh, doing open mics like I do now, it's impossible uh -huh. to know what you're walking into because half the time half of the audience or potentially more are other comedians who are uh -huh. not even really going to pay attention to your act most often <laughs> usually uh -huh. you sit there at least in, in my experience you sit there if you're seventh and you will try to just listen for punchlines and give a courtesy chuckle it, you know uh -huh. if, you, if you hear they're trying to work do crowd work you know, and no one's doing something, you can raise your hand and, and play with them. If, if that's, you know, they, I, I haven't gotten to that part where I even want to involve the crowd in that way. Um, but otherwise, you're really just focused on, these are just, these are my jokes. Because I don't want to bring paper or anything up on stage with me. So it's just yeah. running through what I'm going to say in my head and really not paying attention. So they could be the greatest joke ever, or it could just be, terrible but if i hear what sounds like is supposed to be a punchline i'll give the mm -hmm. <laughs> you know just as a as a courtesy so so that's usually half your audience is that kind of people who may, if they're courteous they might give you a chuckle here or there but they're not listening and then when they're done uh -huh. they they're they're not sitting in the crowd waiting for you if they've gone before you they're usually driving home or sitting at the bar oh wow it's uh that must that but, must be nerve wracking being up on stage and not knowing what you're getting yourself into. Holy crap! That's uh yeah, and, and it's I, I haven't gone uh, I haven't taken too many terrible uh, risky edgy jokes. Yet, uh, I've uh -huh. done, I did one, which I actually played the recording on one of my podcast episodes um, that was, really, if you think about it, it was not really an edgy joke, but it seems like it is. So, uh -huh. <laughs> particular joke, I, I, I used the word loquacious, and then I said, uh -huh. and just to be clear, that's an adjective, that's not the latest victim of a police shooting. And most most white people I tell that to are like, am I allowed to laugh at that? It's, it just so happened the night I told that joke, most of the audience was black and they loved it. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, so it, it's, it's like, you know, I, I was I was a little nervous, but. Oh yeah, I, I won't even give you my two follow-ups to it. <laughs> no, please, please I, keep that one. Oh my God, keep that one. It's, You've it, got to keep that. <laughs> it, it's funny. It works on stage, and and I I record. I haven't recorded all of my sets, which irritates me. But that one I recorded just audio-wise. And I almost uh -huh. I, I wish I had video because that one you can hear the initial laughs and a few people go, oh, and then I did something with my face to get a second laugh before I said another word. 
that uh-huh. that was b- bigger than the first one. And I'm like, I really wish I knew exactly the face I made because it was effective. I just don't know what it was. Oh, but things no. like that are so, you know, and that's kind of the, as a uh, comedian, even to an extent as a podcaster, but I think I've kind of shifted away from that. But as a comedian, you're a persona. You're not mm-hmm. fully yourself. You can. T- so I like to go the the easiest route I've kind of gone to so far is someone who drinks way too much, but also uses words like loquacious. Like so, it's an intelligent person, but it may be dumbed a little bit. And I think that's a sweet spot where you can kind of make intelligent jokes and really stupid uh-huh. jokes. And I don't know if it'll work long term, but that's that's the avenue I've kind of found that works right now. But then I also have a lot of people who are like, "You need to you need to work in jokes about your kids and your family," and it's like, yeah, I I I I have a hard time doing it. I can usually talk about them on the podcast, uh-huh. but on stage, it's like I don't know if me talking about my eight-year-old being smarter than me is going to make be relatable and if it's yeah you know it's just one of those things that's like i i don't know then there's also and he's one of my favorite comedians so this is not an insult but bert kreischer i don't know if you're familiar with his stuff but his he jokes about his daughters and i don't know how much of it is 100 percent true but some of them i'm like that is so funny but oh my god, if my daughter saw that joke years in the future, I think yeah. she would be mortified that I would say that on stage. <laughs> so that's where I kind of have that tough balance of it. I don't want to. I mean, right now, obviously, it's you know just to a small uh, comedy club group of people, so it's not like millions right. of people will hear if I tell an embarrassing story about my kids. But. Um, there is that in the back of my mind. Like, I don't want them to be going to high school and be like, oh, I saw your dad stand up. <laughs> I'm going to make fun of you. <laughs> so, you know, well, the it's. Other, the other thing is, is you could always like, like when I, like you're saying, when I see comedians and they talk about their kids and, and, you know, their families, I'm always like, huh, I wonder how much of that is really true or how much. Like you're saying, they change certain things so to kind of protect, even though the kids and the wife or the husband or the whatever partner, they know that you're a comedian. They right. know that's what you do. So, you know, when they their friends are going to know that so-and-so's dad or so-and-so's mom is a comedian. So what they're saying isn't meant to be, you know, taken seriously or, you know, but like, you know, I'm sure that comedians have to be careful. And then the more you grow as a comedian, just like the more any of us grow in our profession, the more comfortable we get, the more natural things become. So, but then there's all... There's always that like devil and that angel on our shoulders with no matter what we do, I think we're always, or I should say a lot of us like fight with the devil 
fight with the angel, depending on the day, depending on the situation, depending on our audience, like who we're performing in life, performing on the stage in front of. How do we want to present ourselves? Do we want to just be ourselves and make dick jokes or, you know, whatever and laugh at them? Or do we need to put on our more conservative hat for this particular audience of life or audience on stage? Yeah, and it's uh, that it's funny now since people uh, in my life are aware that I'm doing comedy. Uh-huh. The funny thing is, there there's two things. One is now, so but. For years, prior to even really thinking I was ever going to do stand-up, but just for comedy writing purposes, I would awkwardly, like, I I use this in a stand-up bit, too, and I'm ranting about dating apps, but one time I was flirting with a a lady at a bar, and, and this was at least two or three years ago, and she asked me what dating apps I'm on, I'm like, I don't do that shit, and she said, that's sketchy, and left. And we'd been talking for 20 minutes, and the fact I wasn't on dating apps... She found that to be too sketchy and walked away. And I, I just jotted it. I think I pulled out my phone and made a note about it. Uh, and I use it as part of a joke in, in, in stand-up. But that used... So the, the point I'm making is the funny thing about it is that used to be deemed... And it was very like socially awkward. I'd randomly in the middle of a conversation jot something down or make a note in my phone. I wasn't not paying attention to the conversation. It was just I needed to document that or it would be gone. Uh-huh. Uh, now, even if I'm, like, checking a, 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 the lightning stats on my phone or something like that, uh, they're, they're assuming I'm jotting something down for, for comedy purposes. <laughs> so it's, uh-huh. it's no longer socially awkward. It's part of my art or something. <laughs> nice. But the other thing nice. is... I I like it and I I I have my reservations about it is everyone is telling me uh, here's a joke idea blah 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 and some <laughs> of them are really good and some of them are just not for me and some of them are terrible <laughs> um uh-huh. and it's like so I I'm, I'm conflicted because some of them are good you know it's like uh-huh. Or, or even a suggestion. My dad, I can't even remember what it was, uh, but my dad made one referencing my childhood, something I could make a joke about. And I'm like, that's good. Mm-hmm. I li- like that because that, that gives me a prompt to start on. But then sometimes yeah. it's like, even if the joke's good, it might just not be for me. And I don't want yeah. you to then say, see me never try it out and be like, oh, he doesn't think I'm funny. So I'm conflicted. Like, I like it because... <laughs> If you're talking about something that's authentic to me, you know, they, they, hey, do you remember that time you did this? Oh, yeah, okay. I'd forgotten about that. Uh, or I'm working on a set of uh, blackout stories about me where I was blackout drunk. And I can't verify any of the stories, but these are what people have told me happened. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, you know, in a real sad uh, admission is quite a bit over the last seven years or so where... Uh-huh. You know, I was told what happened, but I I can't verify that's what really happened, but <laughs> <laughs> I I can 
say the same thing, but not about the blackout drunk part, but just the past maybe 20 years. So much is a blur, but just from natural situations, I guess, just like relationships and um, I take care, I board dogs for a living, so I've met Hundreds of people, I've met hundreds of dogs. I remember every single dog's name. But when it comes to the owner, I'm like, oh my God, what the hell was um, Toby's owner's name? And I'll ask my husband. And he's like, I have no idea. And I'm like, I can remember every (laughs) dog. I can remember all of their care needs. From seven years of doing this and from countless stays and for the life of me, I can't remember why I walk into a room. I walk into the kitchen. I'm like looking around. I'm like, all right, give me a sign. Give me a sign and kind of like point, like spinning around and pointing and something. Give me a signal. And then I'll have a random dog situation just pop into my head. I and I think some of that just has to be selective. Like I I I try to my eight year old son likes sports history, so I try to watch old Saints football games with him. And he's astounded that I still remember every single player on the field. You know, it's we were watching a game from two thousand, so that was twenty one years ago. And we watched the whole game and there was one player. I'm like, you know what? I don't remember. I, I, that's the first guy I haven't remembered this whole time. Uh, but I I graduated high school in 2005 and I still hang out with a few people I went to high school with, uh, and they will bring up names and I will say, I don't remember them at all. Did, Did they go to the same school? Yeah. For four years. And and do- dozens of names, uh-huh. unless they're making them up as some elaborate prank, which I don't think they are. <laughs> but I've even <laughs> ran into them, like at you know, out in public, and I'll say, "Who is this?" It, you went to school with them for four years. You should know. I I I I don't remember him at all. <laughs> so I think wow. some of that's just got to be selective, unless unless I have an issue also. <laughs> with them maybe it's like that situation where like a lot of people a lot of comedians I've seen um, make jokes about like their wives that have dreams that the husband did something in the dream and then Mm. they wake up and they're like you dick I can't believe you did that what did I do what did I do well in my dream you (laughs) cheated on me with so and so yeah, that was a dream. <laughs> that was your and brain that thought that, not mine. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So maybe, you know, in your memory, this person who you're supposed to remember because you went to high school with them for four years, in your mind, 
they did something to you, like gave you a wedgie or something. I don't know. And I don't know what the kids are doing in high school as pranks these days. Back in my day, I don't, I don't know. It's probably more, I'm curious that myself. It wasn't very physical, uh, even when I went to school. And I'm guessing it's, I'm guessing it's less physical now because they, there's a lot of, uh, anti-bully stuff my daughter just got Uh she just finished fifth grade so she's going to middle school next year and uh Uh she uh there's a lot of anti-bully stuff that i don't remember any of that when i went to school but i remember having dare i don't remember what it stood for but the anti-drug thing and i think that was in fifth grade and i asked her the other day I'm like, do they ever talk about drugs and alcohol at school? She's like, no, never, not once. I'm like, hmm, okay, things have changed. They didn't, they, they haven't, they don't teach them about sex either, apparently. My no. daughter, yeah, she, she, I remember distinctly, I mean, I, I think it was third grade that I learned it because of friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in fifth grade, they taught you the dynamics of the whole thing. Just the basic uh-huh. reproductive dynamics. And right. now my daughter's on the spectrum. Not that anyone would notice unless they spend a lot of time with her. But i mm-hmm. thinking that probably plays into why she hasn't learned about it. But mm-hmm. it seems very old. When we learned about it in fifth grade, everyone already knew about it. <laughs> you know, it was... Oh, yeah. yeah it, it, I think there was one kid who I remember who was like, what? <laughs> and, and <laughs> yeah, it, it, so, so that was my thing is it's like, I, I don't want her to be that one kid, but apparently all they talked about was like, girls, you might get your period and start wearing deodorant everyone. <laughs> like that was it. It's like, oh my God. okay, I guess they teach that in sixth grade. I, so I there's know. no embarrassing film strip or no separating the girls and the boys they did she told me they separated the girls from the boys but all they did was talk about the period and uh uh i think they talked to the girls about period and bras and boys about body hair and deodorant Deodorant. from what i get but i'm like (laughs) okay i mean i i I guess maybe it's not as big of a deal now (laughs) i i really don't know I, well, there, there's the internet now. Back when I was growing up, there was no internet. Oh, that's that's true. And when I, I grew up, I it took forever to get online. <laughs> yeah, and I had no internet. I didn't have internet until I got out of college, which I'm sadly dating myself, but... 1990, I graduated college, and internet was just happening. Oh, so. well, well, I had uh, Frontier Internet at my house, so I basically had no internet until I changed a few months ago. So. <laughs> Here's an unpaid sponsorship for Frontier Communications. Do you miss dial-up internet speeds? Do you want to see what it's like to live in a world without internet? Do you want an internet provider with horrendous customer service? Do you want to just flush money down the toilet? Well, if so, I have an internet provider for you. 
Frontier Communication provides internet speeds at literally five one thousandths. Uh, yeah, that's hard to say. The speed of its local competitors. Not only that, they charge you more for it. If you miss the days of taking three minutes to download an image of Pamela Anderson for your jerk-off sessions and knowing that you'd never have enough time to download a video, get yourself Frontier Communications Internet. And because you're a listener to the Jeff McAlino podcast, I've got a great deal for you. Reach out to Frontier Communications on Twitter and tell them to go fuck themselves and that Jeff McAlino sent you. And you will be eligible to get the slowest internet speeds at the highest internet price if you live in Pinellas County, Florida. Frontier Communications. Vintage internet. You've got mail. All right. Still good for a minute. So I wanted to talk to you. You mentioned your dog uh, boarding business. Um, uh-huh. And I know in, in uh, email we had uh, chatted. Uh, Ned, when COVID happened, that basically the uh-huh. business died down pretty quick, I, I take it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People were canceling left and right because I, I just had my summer booked. And then as soon as, like, I had a couple of dogs stay in, like, late February, early March, and then nobody was going anywhere, and I was getting messages on Rover saying, we're so, so sorry, but, and I'm like, don't apologize. We don't know what the hell's going on, and better be safe than and I'd rather have them cancel on me than me cancel on them. But I did have to cancel a couple of people just because I didn't know what was going on. I wanted to keep my house safe and protected because I didn't know, you know, what people were doing. People didn't know what they were doing. So, yeah. Yeah. It pretty much shut down. I had nothing. Now, is it uh, recovering or plan to recover or... What's the, now that things are kind of getting back to a little more normal? I'm getting booked, but right now I'm not taking new dogs because the way I do meet and greets is I have the people and the dog in my home so that they can get to know each other. The dogs can sniff each other and me and the people can sniff each other and (laughs) you know, feel each other (laughs) and I can do my extensive interview and then they can decide. And to me right now with everything opening up and not everyone getting vaccinated and people getting vaccinated and not wearing masks, I'm still leery. I don't know enough yet. Science isn't, isn't, nobody can right now technically officially in my opinion say we're a hundred percent safe if you get vaccinated you're a hundred percent safe so right i'm taking my regulars and that's it and even some of those i'm taking them but we're still doing at the door masks on you know just handoffs kind of like football over the front. Yeah, well, and you're inside, yeah, you're inside your house, so it's a different, and I I do think there's, uh, I've fought this too, especially in, so down in Florida, we've been open 
for a long time. So I'm not mm-hmm. so concerned here because I think we already kind of got through it. And most people, I probably have had it by now. Uh, and you're right. I don't know. I, I, sci- I, science, the word science, I think, has lost a definition over this whole thing, which is sad yeah. because the whole point of science is you're always questioning it. Like, that's the purpose of science. Yeah. And now it's like, this is science. This is science. You don't like science. It's like, do we forget yes. the definition of the word? Because like you said, science, it's, you know, it's it's always shifting, which is, mm-hmm. you know, that's the nature of science. Otherwise, uh, the sun would be rotating around the earth still. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's, uh. I don't like when ordinary people take real hardline stances on on what science conclusively says because it's like you don't know that. So I I, I respect your answer, what you were saying, because I think that's exactly what people should be like. Let's you know we can wait and see if you you know depending on your age and your health you could do different things that's to take yep. different risks. But yep. yeah, no, I I completely understand that. And you did find a uh, another thing to do uh, when the dog boarding stuff kind of uh, slowed down. You started teaching, yeah, online, I, and that's all. Tell me about that. I got my um, te um, tefl. I teach English as a foreign language, so I'm on my like fifth career since graduating college i am an english teacher i teach english to students from all i've been every day i go to multiple countries mostly brazil i speak a little bit of portuguese i speak i try to learn um at least hello and goodbye in my students language and um I have had a lot of work on pronouncing their names correctly. And in Brazil, R's and H's are intertwined. And so Mm. I've done a lot of research. But my favorite thing is just talking to my students. I, I, I get excited. I, after a year, I have regular students. I have students that I've had for almost a year. I've had students that I've kind of quote unquote snagged from other teachers as a sub and then they've stuck with me because they've been like, you're interesting. You make me, you know, feel comfortable and not pressure and I identify with you. And most of them are well, younger than me, and I kind of get, like, a maternal feeling, and I'm like, you're doing great, and then I have to go back and say, okay, they're not a child, so figure out how to say great job, but in grown-up, because, like, my my 18-year-old student, I can say, you're doing fantastic and we do high fives and you know things like that and i tell her she's killing it but i had to define killing it 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, no, 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 wait, because the teaching platform, they, they record every classroom situation. So I can't curse. I can't like with the whole political situation, all of my students, they were dying to know about Trump back in those days. They were like, so let's talk about, you know, politics. And I'm like, Okay, I'm only allowed to go so far yeah. before I can get fired. Yeah. So, <laughs> Can't so, go far. <laughs> no, but I listen to them and I can, you know, say uh, I was able to say my opinions on certain things, but then I just stopped. And then I'm like, I, I'm like, I can listen to you. I can listen to everything you have to say. And my students in Brazil... They're a president. They hate their president. And I've had them the funniest thing. They call their president Tropical Trump <laughs> because of Brazil. Yeah. So that became a joke for me with my other Brazilian students as kind of an icebreaker during, like, once I got to a point where I got to know my student enough in the class, I'd be like, they would, like, say something about Trump. And then I would say, oh, did you know that you guys call your president Tropical Trump? And, you know, we banter over some stuff like that. So that's how we got around the politics thing. But now with, like, praising my students and encouraging them, I have to remember that when I'm, like, praising and encouraging my older but younger than me students, I need to do it on a certain level and um, take that encouragement and find out what their goals are. And their goals are a lot different in a lot of situations than my younger students. But I've been learning about grammar because I did not remember <laughs> shit. I was like, she wants to learn about present perfect. What the fuck is <laughs> present perfect? I'm I'm looking on on Yahoo and I'm like, oh, why didn't she just say that? I know what would have been and could have been is, but I never would have known that that present perfect. <laughs> like, just say would have been, could have been. Don't give me. Words like present perfect, because when I took the test for my certification, I like bullshitted my way through that. I have no idea how I made it through that. No, I, I don't remember a lot. Like I can write pretty well with grammar, like if I need to write something, but mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you like what, what uh, there was, we're, I can't remember what it is now. That's how long forgotten it, it it is it wasn't adverb but it was something like that where it's like i really should know uh, what this is like i know uh, the word but i couldn't tell you what it is and one of my kids was learning about it and asked me what it was or something and i'm like i i'll have to look it up on the internet i can't uh-huh <laughs> it's it's uh but i you know unless you're an english teacher <laughs> then you know what why would I remember that? 
Exactly. And even us English teachers, we have to look shit up because it was so long ago. And so I've only been teaching for a year. It was kind of an accidental, um, but timely career, not change, but addition. Because now I'm working two jobs, but then I'm also working on a couple more children's books. So I'm technically working three jobs, <laughs> all from home, which is so cool. But um, the whole reason, one of the reasons that I write children's books is I don't have to worry too much about grammar because it's easy for me to like write a children's book, write a story, write something that is going to be fun for a kid and then send it to my editor and have my editor. Yeah. That's what their job the is. <laughs> exactly. And, and the L wise and he, and, the, and he doesn't come back and say, you got that adverb and prepositional phrase mixed up. He just puts a little, underline or a little check or something next to it and so I don't feel like a complete idiot when I get it back gotcha well uh, let's take a quick break if you can hang on with me and uh, we will be right back All right, we are back. Uh, Kim, so you were talking about your children's book, uh, and you have one published so far? Two. Two. What are, what are those about? Um, well, there are two stories, and the first one was inspired, oh, my God, in 2008 on Facebook, when Facebook just started um, over a a Yahoo chat with my girlfriend and her, her son was really young and he was sick. And I don't know. Well, I don't remember why I asked what color his snot was, I guess, because I knew what different colors of snot indicated flu wise because of my nephews when they were little. And she told me, and I don't, I, I was like, this is a children's book, and not the color of snot, but um, the title of the book is called Mommy, There's a Snot Man Standing Next to You, and I used her son as the little boy, and the book is pretty much to promote kids using Kleenexes instead of their sleeves to wipe their noses, because in the book, the little boy keeps wiping his um, nose with his sleeve and the little bubbles of snot go into the air and create a snot man. <laughs> and in the end, not scary. I wanted to make sure I, I went through and I was like, snot monster is sounds like a scary thing. So I wanted to just make it snot man. And so um, in the end, 
I had to, I had to figure out how the snot man taught the kid the lesson, and then how the snot man gently went away, didn't vanish, never scared the kid. So he did, and I remember. I don't know what a snot man looks like. So when I sent my pages to my illustrator, I was dying to know what he, how he was going to depict my creation of a snot man. And I swear to you, when he sent me the black and white sketches and I saw what a snot man looked like, I cried like a freaking baby. I was like, that is a snot man. I was just so beyond myself as as to this is more than what I, I didn't even know how to picture a snot man. And I, I, sucked out marketing I had no marketing skills I gave books away I gave my friends the friend discount and I've got like three boxes of books that I moved from houses to apartments in my basement still and sometimes I give them away I don't really know people that have young children or grandchildren that are young enough and I try not to be pushy and the publishing company they I didn't look into enough as to the fact that the publishing company was not going to help me market mm-hmm. they just wanted my money I was all like naive and all like oh they don't want my money. They think I'm talented. No, they don't. They don't give a shit about your talent. You're just a puppet. They want your money. So they're going to say, your book is great. We want to sell you $6,000 worth more of your book. Oh, wow. Ego is saying, oh, wow. They think I'm awesome. They want my book. And reality set in when I wound up with boxes and boxes of my books still. Now, was the second one different company or? I went with the same illustrator and he had broken away from Author House, which was the publishing company, because he felt they were unethical. He wanted to go private. So he was working with um, another guy. And the two of them, like, were partners. So Mike did the illustrations. And the other guy, whose name I forget, was giving me pointers and tips on how to market, which I still am not good at. How, what, uh, I mean, as far as selling them, do you have like a website or are they available on Amazon or anything or? They are both on Amazon. Oh, okay. And I would say don't go by my name because my first one is under my maiden name. 
and my second one is under my married name. So if you want to put the titles like in the notes or whatever, if you do notes, yeah, then the titles are more effective to finding them. Yeah, can you, uh, when we're done, e if you don't mind, email me the uh, Amazon link so I can put them in the, in the show notes. Got it. Yeah, I, I, I heard, um, and my Aunt Janet, who was on the podcast, only a couple, and I think it's probably different for children's books, but she's published twice with Amazon, and she mm -hmm. loved going through them. She said they made it easy. Now, she did two, like, uh, novels. Uh, so uh, I don't know with children's books, they're obviously different because I mean, a novel just words on a page, whereas a children's book mm -hmm. has to be so much more as far as printing and colors and everything. Yeah. So I don't know if, I don't know if they do that. That's interesting. What, uh, what gave you the, uh, well, you told me the, the first one, um, but what kind of gave you the inspiration to, to even take that to being, I should do a children's book. Well, I've, I've, I've been a writer. I've written poetry since I was, I was able to write. I wrote, like, simple, simple poetry about my grandma and flowers and birds. And then that evolved into um, being dumped by a boyfriend, liking a boy who didn't like me back, which sad poetry, and then all different kinds of poetry contests being published, short stories being published, but not like in private books, but like big, thick analogies where you have to like look at tiny, tiny, tiny print in order to find my poem or my story. And I just got to a point where my net with my nephews, when they were really little, I used to make them their Christmas presents. And one year, I um, was dating, starting to date my husband. And I was like, I'm going to write and illustrate a book for my nephews and give them a copy. And that was really ambitious because I can't draw. <laughs> could be a problem so, and and it was colored pencils it was a lot of erasing it was a lot of using things to make the circles the same I had to go back to pages and make sure I used the same color colored pencil for the same character but I made it through I laminated the pages at Staples found it and that was my first children's book. And then after that, I was like, all right, that was too hard. I'm going to make it a little easier. It's going to be more expensive, but the pictures are going to look a hell of a lot better. So I researched illustrators and I found Mike and I, with all of the other stories I have in my mind, I would never use anyone else. I would never use anyone else for illustrations. He's fantastic. That uh, that that process is interesting to me because I the first creative thing. Well, I can't say the first creative thing I tried, but 
my brother and future brother-in-law and I had uh, developed an idea for like a, a whole comic book universe, which is very unique. It's not Marvel or anything like that. It was a different, a different spin on things, I would say. And uh, uh-huh. my brother and I have no artistic ability whatsoever. And uh-huh. my future brother-in-law is outstanding. So he even did three comic books. Um, I think he, I don't think we put the words in yet, but that can't take too long, I wouldn't imagine. But uh, we uh-huh. did three, but the problem was, you know, it, he was doing the labor or the time intensive, labor intensive stuff. And my brother <laughs> yeah. and I would sit around to drink and we'd just draw outlines for this vast universe, which was, it was not, I don't want to say it was easy, especially to do uh-huh. it well. But, um, you know, there, it takes a lot with it. Like, it, it's really interesting how, you know, it's, you need, you know, from your end as the author to write good material and then you need to rely on that illustrator to do it and uh i don't know which uh uh, i i think the initial aspect of it so with a children's book i think it probably lines up where your thought process to create that book and then the process of actually drawing it out probably is more in line whereas in a in a universe once you mm-hmm. so start setting certain things, it takes a lot of time in the beginning. But once you've made the rules and everything's a continuous story, mm-hmm. all of a sudden you can do 30 stories in a day. And yes. there's not an artist in the world who could do a comic book, one comic <laughs> book. If they spent all day, they could not finish a 20-page comic book. Um, so it's just, it's very interesting. And I consider it all art. But it's very interesting oh, how yeah. everything, in certain scenarios, it's so reliant upon other things. I think that's, uh, I think that's something interesting, even with comedy and movies having a weird yep. relationship. Because I, I don't, I find it interesting. I don't know if if you've ever noticed how few comedians actually are comedic actors in movies and television Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's a missed opportunity i guess for lack of a better term yeah it's not and it's nothing against the uh gosh uh, seth rogan's of the world you know i find his Mm -hmm. movies mostly funny um oh yeah but i also sit here and think like Bert Kreischer has is filming a movie right now, and it's like mm-hmm. I want to see how that turns out because he's a really funny person. And yep. I, I also, I, I, I had a, uh, actually, you with uh, people I know you're fans of, you might like, you might think this is interesting. I always thought too there should be uh, a movie. You're, ugh, I'm talking in circles. Um, curb your enthusiasm. You know how most of it's improv. They they have an yes, outline yes, and yes. Then they basically improv uh-huh. it. And I always thought, why aren't there more movies and or TV shows like that? Where it's, okay, yes. here's point A, you need to get to Z. You have five minutes to play in this scene, you know. Uh-huh. 
go at it. And and instead of casting actors, cast comedians or or people who do improv. Um, and it might turn out like shit. Who knows? <laughs> but I don't. Exactly. I, I I feel like there aren't enough. I I don't know of a single movie that has been just like, just go be comedians and and we'll find we'll you know make it funny. Yeah, here's a basic the, outline. Make it funny. <laughs> the Impractical Jokers did a movie. You're right. Yes. And they did it. They were actually tour. They turned a tour. Um. God, I think it was from, this was a while ago when we saw it, but we love the Jokers. We've seen them live. We watched every episode of their show. Um, someday I want to meet them. Um, but I think they went from Jersey to Florida or Florida to Jersey, I forget, or New York or whichever. And they just, I think they did end up in Florida, I want to say. And they just did comedy, like, the whole way. And it was funny. You know what cracks me up about that that show? And I watch it. I, I actually was watching a replay of it while I was eating before I came on this call, to be honest with you. So I literally, <laughs> it was the last thing I've seen. Um, what cracks me up about that is when it first came out, even though, even when I first watched it, I don't know if it was exactly when it first came out. I'm like, eh, this is gonna, this is gonna get old, yeah. and it 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 doesn't. <laughs> and no. and I think a lot of comedians in the beginning were like, eh, this is just these guys are just they're not funny, you know, it's not gonna work. Now I don't I, I don't know a single comedian who doesn't respect them and think that it's funny. Like, it, it's really interesting how they've always been funny the whole time. Oh, yeah. And, uh-huh. uh, but I think in the beginning there was a lot of skeptics, which, you know, like, it, it, the co- the highbrow comedy fans where it's like, eh, yeah, you know, this is a gimmick. And I, I yep. don't know if it's the thought of it would be like a, it's really... They make themselves the butt of the jokes, right? Like, that's, that's oh, I think, yeah. the part. They're not trying to make other people feel bad. No. They're, they're really, they make themselves the butt of the jokes. I think that's why it's worked and it's continued to work, is they just, they'll go out there and just, not physically, well, sometimes physically, but they'll just beat the shit out of each other. And that's, yeah. that's it. They're not trying to hurt anyone else. And that's, no. I, I think that's why everyone's now... I don't know a person who doesn't think that they're funny anymore. And I, I dare, I tell my husband all the time. I'm like, next time we go to the grocery store, we gotta bring clothespins or pencils <laughs> and and try putting them on people. And I tell my best friend, I'm like, we gotta do Joker stuff. We gotta do Joker stuff. And. You know, with Sal and those tattoos, he's stuck with those tattoos forever. When they when they made Murr get his nipples pierced, oh he God. got his nipples pierced. That shit is real. I mean, you could take the piercings out, but Sal still has those tattoos, mm-hmm. and and they 
that um, I'm trying to think. They plan those punishments like years in advance, and, and just the the thinking, the thought process, the fact that they're such good friends. Like when when Mur married Sal's sister, that was a legal binding wedding, <laughs> and Sal was so pissed, but. They were really married. So, but like there was no story afterwards that said, okay, Sal and Joe uh, and, and um, Sal and Murr's sister and, or Sal's sister and Murr got a divorce. There was no word about that. So obviously they did because now Murr's married to Melissa, but. Um, they probably got it annulled, yeah. <laughs> they had to have because. But they Sal they do bring just... their, their families into it. like they're they're clearly they all know each other's parents and everything. So they, it's very uh, authentic yeah. that they are actually old high school friends. Yeah, and I think that's Did where you... I, I think that's and I I heard someone else ah I see my memory is so bad, but someone else was talking about why he finds Borat uncomfortable, uh, uh, the, the, uh, that theme. And I think the original yeah. Borat was tremendous, but I understood his point. He's like, he's trying to make an ass out of unsuspecting victims. Yeah. He's, you know, he's he's trying to make, uh, like this latest one, I still thought it was funny, but he met two, and I, you know, who knows how much of this is scripted, frankly. But he met two mm-hmm. guys who were willing to take him into their house, but they were, I think they were QAnon or followers of Q. I can't keep mm-hmm. that straight. And he made them the butt of the joke when, you know, maybe they should be, you know, they seem like nice to just let a foreigner come live in their house because he had nowhere to go. So I, yeah. so I can see where it's like, I'm uncomfortable laughing at these guys if they're truly <laughs> unsuspecting victims, which seems unlikely, frankly, but, um, because they seem like they might be dumb, they might have bad conspiracy theories. Not I, I'm a conspiracy theorist myself, so I'm not condemning that. But but I'm laughing at these unsuspecting victims who were nice enough to take this foreigner into their home who had nowhere else to go. But the impractical uh-huh. jokers go the other way. It's like you're laughing at us. You're laughing at us. These people, yeah. you know. We're we're joking with them, but they're not mean spirited with the people. They're mean spirited no. towards each other. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. And I, I I would imagine that anyone who was involved with them, like directly, not like the people that they close pin balloons onto in a supermarket, but people that they like converse with or get into their conversations or whatever. Some, there has to be some kind of explanation, like, you know, just go with it. We're not going to, you know, say anything mean to you, but if you hear me say something to him, don't worry about it. We're best friends, yada, 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 like that. Just to to get the people to go along with it, to give the, help give them their material so that they can get each other. Like when... They're in the law in uh, like a big row at like a Sam's or a BJ's, 
and they have to pass the message to each other. Oh, yeah. And, like, they're, they're taking turns, and then they get the person with the cart, and one of them will be like, tell my friend down there that I don't, I'm pissed off at him because he dated my sister and never called her again, so go give him that message. So then that person goes, and then they play back and forth and back and forth, and then they get meaner and meaner and meaner, and the person's like, ooh, I don't know if I should say that or not. It's like, I'm always yelling at the TV, say it, say it, say it. They're, they're friends. They're friends. They want to get each other. Do it, do it, do it. I would, I would love, I, I, I am curious, because I would love to be approached by them just because I would recognize them, so I would totally milk it for everything it's worth to make it, you know. It, yeah. But I do wonder, nowadays, it's like, who? Do, how do they not recognize these guys? <laughs> you have to think some I of know. them are like, I, I, I know who this guy is. I'm going to play along and try to make it funnier. Exactly. If you don't know by now who the Jokers are, in my opinion, you got to be living under a rock. Yeah, I, they're they're they they're every. You can't watch TV. I feel like without seeing a commercial at least for them. They're reruns. They're they're syndicated. Even during COVID, when they didn't do the show, they did dinner party. I don't know if you watched yep. dinner party. But oh yeah, my there God, there wasn't much they, to watch back then. So. <laughs> no, exactly. They made that hysterical. I'm so, I was so bummed when they announced that there was going to be no more dinner party and they were going back to the show. I was still looking forward to the show, but I was really getting into dinner party. And my husband and I we were like, "Oh crap! You know, you're not doing dinner party anymore." I, I was shocked. And I still wonder. Uh, some of this had to have been filmed pre-COVID, and I, you, you yeah. I could tell by Sal's beard actually that sometimes, yeah, if his beard's nice and trimmed, it was pre-COVID. <laughs> but oh, definitely, oh, definitely. But I was shocked how they were able to go back to the new episodes, and some of it is clearly not pre-COVID. You couldn't. Yeah. In a time cap, twenty years from now, you couldn't watch their episodes and say this was shot during COVID. And I give them a lot of credit to that because I do understand where some shows are, you know, the characters are masked up and all that stuff. I, uh-huh. I get it. Um, but artistically, again, 20 years from now, I'd like to think that most people would be like, uh, teenagers will not know what COVID is. Let's face it. They don't care about history. So if they're watching something, they'll be like, why the hell are these guys wearing masks? (laughs) (laughs) So I respect if you're able to do it without... And I understand, you know, I'm not judging them for it, but I do respect the, Mm -hmm. the, the creative people who were able to... And especially something with Impractical Jokers where you're interacting. It's not like you are telling the person in advance, keep your distance or something. Yep. You know, occasionally you'll see somebody with a mask around their chin or something. That's the most I've seen on the show in the new episodes. <laughs> um, yeah. 
And, and, and it's, uh, I got to give them credit for that because that's got to be the most difficult thing to film because there are so yeah. many variables. That's, and that's right. also why I, I w- can't encourage you to do the impractical jokers thing in the supermarket because the good thing for those guys is they have security <laughs> and they have, uh-huh. and they have cameras. They, cause you've seen, I'm sure you've seen that the time Smur almost got attacked <laughs> Yes. And I I think at least a couple times, one of them's been like, there's a camera right there. Just look at the camera. If you can point to a camera and be like, it's just, just," (laughs) then you're good. So, so play the person who's not uh, participating, make sure they look like they're professional filming with a camera. (laughs) Exactly. That's along uh, the same lines though. You're talking about comedians that, um, do improv and are friends. Another group group are the Who's Line guys and girls. And um, I I belong to a number of Who's Line groups on on Twitter. And peep the people are such diehard fans. They're apparently Who's Line. I mean, if you've seen it. Those games, like they're like they're wind up literally on top of each other, or kissing, or in face to face distance. They wouldn't even vaccinated. They would not be able to do most of that now. Even with the Joker's, fortunately, they're they're not always like right on top of each other when they do their games. But with whose line, it's. A smaller space so thankfully um, there's enough tapings enough like old tapings because they tape like a number of episodes in one day they have I think until 2022 of old tapings that we haven't seen yet but then once 2022 is over they're going to, hopefully, there's going to be the ability for them to do at least new show, new shows, even if they have to alter the games. But, um, like, over COVID, Brad and Colin did their own show, Stream of Consciousness, which um, they put on Zoom, they took their tech people from their two-man show, Scared Scriptless, and created an entire Zoom show that they ran for, like, almost an entire year. And it was fantastic. I went to every single one, and it was different every time. They added games, they added scenarios, they brought people from the Zoom audience. I was in a bunch of the um, the skits that they did. They did shout-outs, they did VIPs, and it was all on Zoom. Mm. And they were able to bring their improv comedy to us. And... It was just like so many comedians did that during the pandemic. And I cried during the last episode because they, I was like, 
what am I going to do with my Saturday nights now? (laughs) You know, I mean, they're going back out on the road. I have tickets for, you know, a show in December, but it's still sad because, you know, you get, like, I never, we saw them once a year because they would come to our area. But with the Zoom show, we got to see them every week. They did a Q&A at the end of their show, so I would ask questions. I learned things like personal things about Brad and Colin that you don't find on their IMDB, you don't find on their fan pages, you don't learn anywhere else except a, a Q&A at the end where you ask questions that aren't about whose line. Like, like one question I asked, Col- I asked both of them is if you wrote a book, what would you title it? I'll never forget Colin's answer. Pit up, piss on a hot roof. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just things like that where it was, it was, it was intimate. Even though there were like a lot of people in different in houses all over the country and all over the world. Yeah. It was still, they brought people together. They brought fans together. And it was just, it was really nice. It was really, really nice. And I'm happy for them that they're going to be able to do what they love, which is, you know, traveling. But it, I also learned that both of them really enjoyed not being on the road most of the year and being home with their families and getting to relax and things like that. It's really interesting that every, I can't say every, there are a few, but most every entertainer, comedian, actor, whatever, talked about, uh, one thing they always say is, you know, I was nervous at first, but then I realized it was really nice to take a break. And it it, it always hits me that it's like, I wonder if some of these, you know, I understand that, that you know, you make more money traveling all around the country all year. But uh-huh. I wonder if someone will be like, I don't need to tour all year. I can do a yeah. tour here or I can just fly out on a weekend and spend a week with my family. I don't need to, uh, cause it's kind of sad to hear. It's like, you, you know, you, you're a lot of the people, it's like, you're rich enough that you don't have to do it. You can still do it because you enjoy doing it, but you you don't have to be on the road 50 weeks out of the year. You know, you, you can do 20 weeks (laughs) and be with your kids. You know, so it's it was it was, um, and I think some of them will d- make that change and will be like, yeah, I don't need I don't need an extra zero on my bank account. I I'd rather yeah. watch my kids grow up. Um, uh, yeah, and the, and the other thing is cameos. Mm-hmm. A lot of comedians are doing cameos and. It's not a lot of money. It's obviously not what they're going to get when they're on the road. But it's you know if you're if you're if your net worth is like a million and you charge like a hundred bucks for a cameo, maybe fifty bucks. That's pocket change. You know that's like yeah. 
take the wife out to dinner, take, you know, whoever. Well, it can, and, it can supplement a show potentially, depending on how big exactly, you are, you know. Exactly. And the comedians that I, that my husband and I, we buy cameos for each other for gifts now because we don't have room in our house for stuff. So I'm like, I don't want anything. I just want cameos because those I can just keep on my computer, on my phone, and I watch them and I laugh my ass off. And I know what to get him because he doesn't need stuff. He doesn't want stuff. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to find a comedian. And I'm going to tell them some stuff. And boom, Father's Day. Boom, birthday. Boom, Christmas. And the other thing is Zoom. Mm-hmm. Zoom shows. And just like Bob and Colin did. But the other thing is Ian Bag. Ian Bag is someone I follow. I followed him for years. Well, not on Twitter, but he has... You would lo- do? You, have you seen his stand up? Uh, I think so. He I, does... I I know him, but I can't think of any specific bits. Oh my god, his crowd work is fantastic. He does a couple. He does a podcast um, called Orange Slices with Ian and Jeff, which is about hockey, and then he does another. Um, show that we watch on YouTube and it's called Around the Bag and he gets three guests and plays games with them and they're friggin' hysterical. In fact they're starting they're getting close to taking super fans and putting them on the show and there's a possibility that I might get to be on Around the Bag. (laughs) Yeah, no, I, 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 go ahead. It just because I bugged him and his producer enough, just like I bugged you enough and wore you down and <laughs> bugged Stefan enough, wore him down. So, I'm, so you're just like, ah, shut her up, get her on the podcast, and decide what to do afterwards. <laughs> No, I I think I I think Ian Bag I saw on uh, Last Comic Standing I think is when I yes. first saw him. So yeah, I, um, but no, I I think and I hope to an extent that some of the uh, I know that I'm I'm a I should be a member of more Patreons for comedians, but I know Doug Stanhope is the one Patreon comedian or. I don't know how to word that sentence properly, but you you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But he did Zoom oh, yeah. calls with his Patreon members. And, yes. uh, you know, anyone who had a question wanted to talk to him. So I got to talk to him mm-hmm. five, six times over the past year, you know, and he'd answer questions, he'd chat, just... Yeah. It was just, you know, everyone just have a drink. get to, But it also, the chat room... The fans, like you were saying, were interacting a lot, which was so much fun to to interact with other people. I mean, Doug Stanhope's a very unique comedian, I would say, and people who are on his Patreon are very uh, dark in general. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, but it was so it was very fun to interact with all of them too. Um, 
And I think he's someone who might be more likely to say, eh, I don't need to travel quite as much. I, uh-huh. You know, I, I enjoy doing this and everyone pays $5 a month, you know, to, you know, yeah. to, to get in. Well, you know, you, you get enough, a thousand members, that's probably as much as you make in a show. Maybe not, maybe not Stanhope. I don't know, but I, I mean, you know, you don't have to pay to travel either that way. You just have to exactly. pop on a Zoom call. Um, exactly. So I hope some of them keep some of those things. And it seemed like a lot more, uh, a lot more podcasts and Patreon popped up from the bigger name comedians. Uh, exactly. And also, you know, frankly, the Zoom, the blessing of Zoom is even someone like myself would not have a podcast without Zoom. I mean, I'm, uh-huh. I'm, I might, I might just try to do solo podcasts all the time, but whew, I, I don't think anyone would listen. <laughs> it's so much nicer yeah. to talk to other people, you know. Uh huh. That's. But that's. That's the thing, though, is now that you're um, embarking on your journey as a stand-up comedian, I think as you open yourself up, like, on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media, and have people like me who promote your stuff, Mm -hmm. um, once people get to know your name, people have... When they listen to your podcasts from Zoom from this past year, they're going to want to know about your journey. So you just might have a podcast. It just might be a little bit shorter episodes, but still share a little bit about your stand-up. Maybe start recording your stand-up, put it up on YouTube. That way you could... Get people to watch it, get some more followers, get some more people to listen to your podcast. That way you can still do it and have the enjoyment because it seems like you really enjoy it from all that I've, all the ones that I've listened to. I know I've enjoyed it. I didn't just want, I didn't just bug you to be on a podcast, you know? No, and I, and I, I appreciate your support for sure. And uh, it, it is, it started, I would say, and I'll be honest, I don't go back and listen to my old episodes. Mm-hmm. I feel like they've gotten exponentially better, which I like to think mm-hmm. is at least somewhat due to me. <laughs> it might just be that I'm getting better guests. I don't know. No, I'm kidding. I am i can't even say that because my first guest... Um, if you go way back to, what was it, February or March, my first guest was spectacular. Uh, uh-huh. I wasn't good at interviewing him, but he was spectacular. <laughs> uh, and that that was um, uh, Frank King, who uh, he wrote on The Tonight Show for 20 years, and he does, a, he does clean comedy, actually. And he does, uh-huh. he's done like five TED Talks on... Uh, suicide prevention so we talked uh-huh. about that for half the episode it was a it was great but it was mm-hmm. definitely because of him so maybe if, so it's it's not uh-huh. solely just because better guests i must have improved somewhat or i'm just having more fun <laughs> well the more the more you 
do with it's like with me with teaching. When I had did my first couple classes, I was terrified. I was like, Oh my god, I'm gonna say something wrong, I'm gonna accidentally curse or something. And the more classes I did, the more I realized this is just gonna happen. Kind of like, you know, when I did my first podcast with Stefan, I had notes and notes and notes because I'm like, oh my God, what if I forget something? Now with you, I just have one page of notes. So <laughs> I've evolved because I felt more comfortable, you know, and it's only, I've only done this twice. So for all that you've done, you've become more comfortable with giving and taking with your guests and timing and just you told me you said to just evolve just be natural when I asked you the questions you were like dad we'll just go and we did and yeah. now I know more about you and now I'm more excited to try and follow you on stand up if you start recording your things otherwise I can't <laughs> yeah I will uh the uh yeah i i've i've had i've had some requests for that so i'll uh i'll have to figure out a way to maybe get some uh get some get some video up there um all even right if there's, even if there's short clips people short clips like three minute clips on youtube that's gonna those are what wet my appetite i'm like I like that person. Let's look them up. Let's find what else they did. And if you start doing that, people are going to see that. They're going to start putting it on social media. Other people are going to see it, and they're going to be like, hey, i got to catch this guy's show when I'm in Florida, when he starts touring, blah, blah, blah. Pretty soon you've got a comedy following. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't hate that. <laughs> well, Kim, um, let's wrap things up. But where um, I'll put your uh, the links to your books in the show notes. But uh, is there anywhere, uh, at the very least Twitter, where you want people to follow you or reach out to you at all? Um, if they want to follow me, I'm more than happy um, at 10 Ged. T-E-N-G-E-D. That's my handle. I'm on Facebook, Kimberly Scott Lanin. Um, If you want to check me out, I'm more than happy. I do social media influencing on Twitter. So if you want me to promote you, send me a message. I will, you know, learn about you. I will be more than happy to share. Awesome. Well, Kim, thank you so much for spending, uh, looking at the clock here, quite a bit of time with me. <laughs> so I, oh I God. really appreciate it. And, uh, we will, uh, we will, I'm, I, I will, uh, hopefully some people will, uh, follow you on Twitter at the very least soon here. And, uh, I know we'll, we'll be talking there soon. Thanks so much. Oh, definitely. Thank you, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right.
Well, I want to thank Kim for joining me on the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, One thing I want to note or point out, uh, I had to edit a couple times in there, mainly because of uh, uh, mechanical or technological failure on my part. Good news is I got a new computer that just came in. So I hope that uh, maybe there's a little better quality as far as audio slash editing that you'll be seeing in the future. I don't really edit much of the conversation, uh, as you can probably tell from from all of the episodes. It's pretty long form as far as conversation, but, uh, you know, hopefully when I do need to make the edits, you know, now that I've got a new uh, computer, I can hopefully make things a little better, and maybe it will enable some potential YouTube uh, type stuff as well uh, with video now that I've got a little higher computer than uh, Windows 1995 and Frontier Internet. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, fuck the Canadians, and I mean the Montreal Canadiens, the hockey team, not the people of Canada. Uh, go Tampa Bay Lightning, Stanley Cup. Uh, which, if you listen to this on the day it's published, came out, or <laughs> came out, game one is tonight. Uh, but judging from uh, the, the the ratings, many of you will listen to this uh, around game three. So the Lightning are probably up 2-0 at this point. <laughs> All right. Anyways, love you all. Do the Twitters, the Facebooks. The, the rating on Apple, if you have an iPhone, and if you don't know how to do it, just like reach out to me. I'll tell you, just scroll on down. Leave a, leave a review like uh, the wonderful people who have so far. <laughs> so, all right. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week. Peace.